20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. It is Sunday morning, Father's Day, and I am joined by, well, not quite my favorite father, but one of them, uh, Father Jason Perrone. This is your eighth, seventh Father's Day. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but that's who I'm joined by. Jason, first of all, happy Father's Day, and how are you today? Thank you, Jake. Uh, happy Father's Day to you as well. I'm going to go ahead and indoctrinate you into the crew, since everybody else in your family is already, even though we're a few months away from the the actual arrival of your child. Yeah, but this is, I think, my um, my sixth. If it's my seventh, then you might know more than I do. That's that's all I'll say. But I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Excited about uh, summer coming up here. It's a good time of year. And now we can just focus on baseball because hockey and basketball ended this past week. And so did uh, Packers minicamp. Yeah, Packers minicamp ended. Uh, so for those that are waiting for football, uh, we got about a month and 10 days uh, from when we record right now to the start of training camp for the Packers. That will open on July the 25th, I believe is the date that was given by the Packers. So we have that that we know. Uh, basketball ended. You did mention that. The Toronto Raptors uh, dethroned the Golden State Warriors uh, with a win in Game 6 at Oracle Arena. The final game at Oracle Arena is an L for the Golden State Warriors and really a loss of devastating proportions within two games. Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson both probably ruined uh, their 2019 season uh, with injuries in the NBA Finals. Remains to be seen if both of them will remain in Golden State, uh, but this is not a NBA free agency show. Hockey ended as well. Again, so for all six of you that watched the NHL, uh, the St. Louis Blues won their first Stanley Cup by defeating the Boston Bruins. And that's about all I know about it because I am not one of the six people that watch hockey. So um, that's where we're at on that. Packers minicamp, you did mention. Uh, they had it this week. It started on Tuesday and ran through Thursday. They had two practices and... They had a team-building exercise on Thursday, uh, which was paintballing. So, Jason, let me start there with the paintball. First of all, is this not a missed opportunity by Matt LaFleur to just embrace all of the dodgeball jokes and have Aaron Rodgers, who has that mustache in all of its glory, dressed up as White Goodman to be the Globo Gym Purple Cobras, taking on another team, which would be the Average Joes, 
is that not a missed opportunity that we have here? Are we sure he's the right head coach with this kind of decision-making? Well, you bring up a good point, but I will say, as calculated as Aaron Rodgers is, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a conversation and he might have ictionated the idea, although I don't think that's what happened. Uh, paintball's fine. It's cool. I mean, no matter what they do, there's going to be somebody who thinks it's foolish, it's dangerous, why aren't they practicing, they have so little time as it is, this is lame. I mean, there's a million and one opinions. Remember the year they went skeet shooting and that was like all the rage. Everyone was all up in arms about that. Um, I will say, not to reel it back too fast, because I know you probably have something that you want to say too about the uh, the activity, but it. I think Matt LaFleur really established himself in this past round of mini camps. It sounds like he was a lot more, more animated and getting on some of his staff, his coach, assistant coaches, his players. You know, they're still in a honeymoon phase. They will be for a year or two. That's just kind of how that works. But, like, the pleasantries seem to have stopped a little bit, and I like that. I actually like that whole vibe of getting to work, getting down to business, and I'm excited to see how the first week of training camp goes, if that's going to carry over. But as far as the activity goes, I mean, you know, the staff, the team, they need they need to bond just as much as any. There's a lot of newcomers. But it looks like this team is pretty well gelled. And so that was that was kind of what I took away from it, kind of some cool videos from the day to involve the fans in the whole situation. Yeah, if you want to go, I mean, if you want to look for stuff, obviously there's things to look for at this time of year. But the the riffs, if you will, for the first couple were, one, Josh Jones showed up, didn't participate with a hamstring injury. There's been some debate about the validity of that hamstring injury. It kind of felt like the he'll get fined if he doesn't show up, but he still doesn't want to be here kind of injury. Um, So we'll see if that amounts to anything. I have a hard time thinking that the Packers are going to just let Jones go for nothing. So, but at the same time, it seems hard to believe that they're just going to invite that kind of dynamic into their locker room with a new head coach and the first time for everything. Um, So we'll see if something changes between now and, uh, and the start of training camp here in a month. But Josh Jones, that was a storyline for the first day because he showed up, but he didn't practice. And the other thing which you alluded to was the Aaron Rodgers comment about changing plays at the line of scrimmage and how there isn't as much freedom in the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur system that there has been in Mike McCarthy's offense. And Aaron Rodgers basically said, you know, there's 11 years worth, and I'm paraphrasing, but there's 11 years worth of experience. Not a lot of guys can do or know what I know, and that's just a fact. And that and that is true. There's 11 years worth of experience. Uh, but this was a discussion during last season on whether or not Rodgers had too much rain over the offense and all kinds of different things, really, that go into play for you know why this is a big topic. Me, personally, a little what is it, conflict, if you will. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think this is something huge, not a big deal to make out of something. Oh, Rodgers and LaFleur already not on the same page. Rodgers going to give him a hard time. All that good stuff. I'm sure, you know, Matt LaFleur has mentioned before, if there's something that he can do to save us from a bad play call, then yeah, I would like him to do that. But there's other times where, you know, I'm sure LaFleur is going to pull the reins back a little bit and say you can't change that play or don't change this play or one of these two plays. Ultimately, it's not going to matter because once the games start, you know, LaFleur's the play caller. 
And Rodgers is a smart guy, and I think he knows at this point. You know, he wants to give this new coach and this new offense, which Rodgers is glowing about. That's the other part that people are missing is they're glowing in this offense, and they just sound all of them. Rodgers, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, Geronimo Allison, Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, they've all said something to the effect of they're excited to play in this offense and ready for some of the splash plays to return. So I don't think there's a whole lot to take away from that. But, Jason, you mentioned you know a uh, Wisconsin reporter had a take, I guess, for four hours or so, something like that, that maybe this is a big deal. So what do, where do you stand on Rodgers' comments? Well, it was it wasn't not necessarily four hours, but there were talk shows that were focusing the entire segments on just the comment that Rogers made about the you know you don't want to you don't want to change eleven years worth of, of habits and Matt Lafleur is not going to do that. This was much ado about nothing at all, and I'm the first person that'll say like, well, you know, it's worth the discussion. That's kind of my entire platform at Cheesehead TV. Is a lot of the stuff we write in the off season is really more to promote conversation amongst our readers than it is to report news because there's nothing to be had out there. But I'm not a big fan of just making something up uh, when, where there's nothing to be had. I and mean, this is Aaron Rodgers. We, we know him well enough to know whether, what he's doing. He's not going to throw a grenade. It's, it wasn't a grenade. It was a fleeting comment. I think they'll be fine. I think that the offense will um, – well, it'll do what it needs to do. You know, ultimately – I'll say this. I think Matt LaFleur is on board, and I think he's going to be a good thing for Aaron Rodgers, and I think that this offense might surprise a lot of people in a good way this year. Uh, I don't know if that's going to translate to 12 wins, but I think the offense is going to be just fine. And I have something you know, to add to that, too. There was another comment that another player made about the offense and defense that I thought was interesting. Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback at the line of scrimmage. He's in the game. He's the one that touches the ball. So if he wants to change the play, he's going to change the damn play. That's just, It's as simple as that. And old habits die hard, and you've got a very smart player who, honestly, I think he was right. There aren't many many quarterbacks in the league who could do that. You have to embrace his ability to make adjustments. And now you have a system that has players in place that can do things more dynamically that give Rodgers more options to make those changes. To me, it seems like a no-brainer. You don't give him free reign He's got to understand the offense, but if there's any quarterback that can quickly make that happen or make up for any shortcoming in knowing the offense this season, it's Aaron Rodgers. So we can drop it right here as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, they'll they'll be fine and, and I think it's all gonna be it's all gonna be good. And I, by the time training camp rolls around and everything else is all said and done, get the run game going, this this offense is is gonna look a lot better than it has the last two seasons, I can tell you at least that. Yeah, we're not setting the bar very high on that, unfortunately. Uh, the offense the last two years has been, you can make an argument, the weaker, the weaker of the two links in between the offense and defense on the team. So that's certainly something that can be argued, but there's really no point crying over spilled milk at this point. The comment you alluded to came from Brian Balaga, is what I'm assuming, and that's where you said that he stated – the, the defense was ahead of the offense at this stage of minicamp, and that's the first time that's happened since Belaga's been in Green Bay. Now, there are some tangible reasons for that. Obviously, it's the second year in Mike Pettin's system, so the defense is going to know their system and be ahead of that. The offense is in the first year of Matt LaFleur's system, but at the same time, the Packers' defense has needed to be on a championship level, and it hasn't been since 2010. 
that's just I know they've had some other decent units in that time frame. 2014, the team that lost to the Seattle Seahawks obviously had a pretty good defense. But a championship-level defense doesn't let a collapse like that happen, even if the offense and the special teams and everything that happens like that just completely takes a dump in the process. A championship defense doesn't have that happen against them. 2015, a championship defense doesn't let Larry Fitzgerald run through the secondary. Those are the two best units the Packers have had defensively since their 2010 season, and they weren't good enough. This Packers defense has the potential, and that's an ugly word, but the potential, I think, to be good enough. The front seven certainly has some players in it now. Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary were added. Oren Burks, you're looking for a step from him, if that's something that they can rely on. Um, and then you've got, in the secondary, the health of Kevin King, knock on wood, Jair Alexander taking a second year, Josh Jackson taking a second year, Darnell Savage, people are raving about him in Packers camp, and it's players, not just coaches. Uh, guys like Devontae Adams said the kid's going to be the real deal, and he's special, and I know it. And sometimes you just know. So with that being said, Jason, are you looking forward to at least the potential that maybe, because we, we've seen it, you know, the last 10 years almost, if Aaron Rodgers has a bad game, the Packers lose. That's something that's really frustrating about this team in particular because you can watch, like in the Super Bowl this past year, Tom Brady does not play well, and the Patriots win by 10 points. Why? Because they're very good at complementary football. They played really good defense, they were good on special teams, and they picked up their quarterback that didn't play particularly well. Packers haven't done that nearly enough in order to win in recent years. When they were in 2010, for example, Aaron Rodgers did not play particularly well in Chicago against the Bears. Why did they win? Because the Packers forced three turnovers and their defense was absolutely lights out from the start of the game and most of the way through the finish at least. But they picked up their quarterback. How excited are you for the potential that maybe the strength of this team is on the defensive side of the ball? I'm all for it. I'm an old school guy, so I still think defense matters. By the way, you're going to tick off all of our Patriot fan listeners talking about the GOAT that way. Jay. Well, Tom Brady sucks, so there you go. And he's weird and does no, weird I mean, things, and yeah, he's just a strange guy. So right. there you have it. And the Bruins yeah. suck, and so do the Red Sox, and the Celtics, and their one-hit wonder, and Paul Pierce is a bum and a moron and says stupid things on television, like a series is over when the team is down one to nothing, and he thinks he's Kobe Bryant. He's one of the most overrated players in his own mind in the history of the NBA. I can do the Boston stuff all day, Jason. Please cut me off. For those of you that aren't aware, that last comment there was a very subtle dig at yours truly, and Jake and I will have that out offline. <laughs> Actually, we won't touch that at all. There's no point at absolutely whatsoever. The, congratulations to the St. Louis Blues, absolutely. Uh, did not hate seeing that. Um, yeah, I mean, if the defense is going to be the thing, it's it was the thing in 2010. I mean... That wasn't the lights-out offense that we saw in 2011. You know, 2010 was an interesting year because it was so up and down. But there were some games where offensively they just looked like garbage. And so the defense had to be what it was. If that's what it's going to be again, I'm all for it. And I and I wrote about this a little bit for what's going to be posted on Cheesehead TV on Monday. Just kind of a, a temp check on the team, and that's one of the points I made. I talked about the Belaga comment. 
you made all of you know a lot of similar points that I did with regards to why the defense might be ahead of the offense, but I think the defense might be ahead of the offense because the defense has the potential to have more studs on it than the offense does, and the offense has some really damn good players on it. So that's why I'm saying there's a lot to like about this team who has not put on pads and played against any competition yet. You know, I mean, there's definitely been plenty of offseason – you know, back and forth between Patriots fans talking about Brady and Rodgers, Bears fans want to compare HaHa Clinton Dix to Adrian Amos. I mean, if there were two, if there's two less, and I don't mean to say that they're irrelevant, I'm trying to think of a better word. If there's two more under-the-radar players that are being talked about more in the NFL than HaHa Clinton Dix and Adrian Amos, please tell me who they are because <laughs> I am astonished. I am astonished at the at the banter that's going on here. And by the way, this it's you know I'm Paul piercing it right now, telling you who's going to come out ahead when the season is over, and whatever metric you want to use, other than the Pro Bowl, because that game is stupid and meaningless, and it doesn't matter anymore. But you got you you named it. I mean, there's some there's some linchpins here. Kenny Clark has to be you know awesome. Um. We need to talk about Mike Daniels. Mike Daniels didn't practice at all. And we're talking about Josh Jones and is there validity to the injury and him saying that he wanted to spend more time with family and his plan all along was to come to minicamp, but then you made those comments. So that doesn't make sense at all. Uh, Mike Daniels not playing. I know, Jake, we weren't necessarily planning on talking about this, but... This has a little bit of a, a chin-scratching um, vibe to it because Daniels is in the last year of his deal. He's from the previous regime. He's, you know, he's approaching 30. The defense is not really centered around his type of play. He's still a very good defensive player because Mike Daniels is the type of a guy I think you can put in any defense, and he's going to show up and do something just because of who he is. But does this say at all to you that the team might have other plans for Daniels and his being kept out might be a little bit of a safeguard against any potential movement? I am. This is pure speculation, obviously, but I'm just curious if anybody else is thinking the same way. Well, nothing that I've read. I do know Daniels obviously missed uh, the last part of last season with an injury. I don't know if anything was ever reported that this was still the effect from last season's injury. I would be surprised if the Packers moved on or anything like that. I would be surprised if Mike Daniels was the type to hold out and play the role of malcontent. Uh, And I don't use that term loosely. It's just I would be surprised if that's something he is. We've seen over the years Mike Daniels is a crazy person, has a little bit of psycho in him. That was something that was sorely needed on this Packers defense for years. The problem is Daniels was kind of the only one. Um, so I I know that you know when next year hits, the Packers are probably not going to have him around, um, and that's okay just because he's getting older and they can't afford to pay everybody. And you know once we get to the offseason stuff here a year from now, well, a little less than a year from now, we can talk more about who Green Bay is going to keep and who they're going to let go. And because there's some other contract decisions, for example, Blake Martinez, um, just to name one, that is kind of a big decision in this point in time. So 
I don't think Mike Daniels is going anywhere, but it is interesting. I think at minimum, it's a good thing for some of the younger guys, Montrevious Adams, Dean Lowry, um, Kingsley Kiki, to just get some reps, uh, get some more reps, because Daniels is one of those dudes, too, that when it's Sunday, it's go time, and he's ready to go. He'll play. Um, so I'm not I'm not too worried about that from the defensive side of things. An interesting point that you brought up is the potential that the Packers have to have some more studs on defense than they do on offense. And I want you to tell me, what do these guys have in common? Darnell Savage, Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith. A stumper. It's a stumper on Pack a Day, everybody. Uh, this is. I think. I feel like I'm being hazed right now. Since yeah, I'm that still could be. I'm a newer full time member. I mean, I will say this. It's hard. To, I mean, they're not rookies. They're not all second year guys. They're not. You know, I don't know if it has anything to do with age. Um, but when I think about guys on defense that could play that role that I mentioned, I think those guys all fit into that that bucket. Zadarius Smith could be another one too, but. Yeah, those guys that I mentioned, they're all first or second round picks, and I left out even Kevin King. And I'm not sure if Zadarius Smith was a second round pick. I knew he was either a late second or a late third. I didn't know which one. But you can see the investment. And one of the arguments I made for years about Dom Capers' defense and why I wanted him removed from that role sooner than he was is because at what point you have spent so much money and investment on the defensive side of the ball. And at what point do your results not meet that investment? That was kind of my argument for why the Packers defense had underachieved for as long as it had, because there were so many picks and so, well, not a ton of free agency money under Ted Thompson, but so much stuff was spent on the defensive side of the ball. And the offense is suffering some of the effects of that now. You can see, I mean, Devontae Adams is a second round pick. They had to sign Jimmy Graham because they haven't drafted a tight end and developed one. But after that, your receivers are a bunch of late-round guys. Your running backs are a bunch of late-round guys. And some of your offensive linemen are kind of that way as well. So you can see some of the issues that came into play with spending so much capital on the defensive side of the ball. But finally, well, maybe not finally. That's not the right term to use. But if this coaching staff is as good as the Packers believe they are, this defense could be, I mean, there's potential for a top five unit. I'm not saying that's what I expect, but there's potential for a top five unit on the defensive side of the ball, barring health and obviously some development from some of those players because there's going to be growing pains. As much as I love Darnell Savage and everything like that, there's going to be a moment that you have the what the hell are you doing. Rashawn Gary is going to go through growing pains. Uh, same with some of the other guys that they brought in as well. It's just, I mean, it's not like Madden where you plug in a rookie and he knows the play, so he goes and does his assignments. There are no mental errors in Madden. You know, there's just things happen. That's just kind of how it works. Um, and that's that's not how it works now. So, Jason, you got something more to add? Well, one other thing I wanted to say was, because I kicked it off with the Daniels idea, is, the, is turnovers. And the defense, I think this defense has a much better chance this year. Of no other, I have no other source other than my gut that – you're going to see more interceptions from this defense than we did in, in, in the past couple of seasons. And if the defense was carrying things over the past two years, which is still, like we said, isn't saying much, they weren't getting the turnovers at all. And now you've got guys who I think, you know, finally, will Darnell Savage do that this season? Maybe not completely in his rookie year, 
But I think his presence is going to open up things for others to get picks. If Blake Martinez can catch a football, you know, he'll have at least two this season because he seems to have a couple thrown to him every season. He just drops a couple. And you got Jair Alexander. If Kevin King stays healthy, that's that's what I'm looking forward to the return of. When we were spoiled having Nick Collins and Charles Woodson on the same defense, it was like nary a game went by that there wasn't at least one interception. And and we just aren't don't see a ton of them coming from the, the safety position. And now somebody can contest the ball deep and get after defending the pass. Turnovers and interceptions is, is something that I think is going to be one of the biggest reasons why the defense makes a jump. Yeah, and I think that you know something else that comes off of that is the fact that that is something that the Packers defense was not good at last year. And it was something that they even even in Dom Capers' worst seasons. 2011, they had the worst defense in the NFL. Why were they as good as they were? How the hell did they go 15-1? and Because they led the league in interceptions and had a boatload of turnovers in that secondary. Um, and the Packers didn't do that last year. I mean, they just didn't turn the ball over very often. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It sounds like the emphasis. Mike Smith, the outside linebackers coach, I love that guy. He's going to be a defensive coordinator someday, maybe a head coach somewhere too, if they decide to go that route. But He's put an emphasis to his outside linebackers on get the ball out, get the ball out, get the ball out. It kind of is uh, something he talked about early in the spring, and it's why he thought maybe Ja'Kai Polite would have been a good fit because he was adept at that in college. Uh, but now he's teaching it to guys like Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, Kyler Fackrell. They're going to get the ball out, and there's going to be a an emphasis on turning the ball over because in this day and age in the NFL, yards are just much more easily gathered. And it's hard to stop a team three plays in a row, six plays in a row if they get a first. Just, you know, it's hard to make a team punt, especially with the penalty rules and all the other stuff that everything that goes into play. You have to be able to get turnovers. Um, That's what the Rams were able to do last year on defense. It's what the Patriots have been able to do forever and ever. It's just hard to play assignment sound, make you punt football all the time. Splash plays are what ultimately are going to win you some games. So that's the defensive side of things. Jason, let's go to the offense real quick before we close up shop on minicamp and move into the doldrums of the offseason. The offensive side of the ball, I mean, obviously there's a new offense being put in place, a lot of stuff to learn. The biggest thing, and I talked about this last night with uh, Nick Schmitz, is to me the receiver room, and that is because I think a lot of people, we know Devontae Adams is the number one. I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. Um, but the number two at this point, I think a lot of people assumed was just going to be Geronimo Allison, and it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And I'm excited from reading, and I'm trying to pump the brakes on myself a little bit as well, just because I know it's spring, they're wearing shorts, there's no pads on, everything changes once the pads come on. I completely understand that. But MVS is currently running with the first-team offense, and it sounds like, from a lot of people's point of view, he's had the best spring of maybe any Packers offensive player. And according to some guys smarter than I am, which there's not a lot of you, but for those, for again, like all six of you, the offense that Matt LaFleur is running is supposedly tailor-made to MBS's skill set. Now, I haven't studied the offense enough. I'm not going to say something just to say it. But reading that, because... Talent isn't MVS's issue. It was polish. And you saw glimpses last year of talent. Jason, the game we were at, 
He had a very good game against the San Francisco 49ers, made a couple nice plays. A deep ball against the Patriots, a deep ball against the Rams. This is the vertical speed the Packers have been missing in their offense since 2014. Wow, that's a long time ago. With Jordy Nelson. What can this guy do? What's the limit? Is there a limit on this guy's potential in this offense? And how excited are you to see that come to fruition during training camp? If it happens, it's great. I'm not a big, I don't, I'm not a big guy, a guy who needs to rank receivers and who's the two through five. I mean, it's, you know, if you're one of the top four receivers, you're going to get some reps in this offense and that's that. It's going to depend on the matchups and all that other kind of stuff. So as far as MBS being the number two, that's fine if he is. If he's not, it doesn't matter. Uh, he's going to be good. He's got a second year behind him or second year, a year of experience under his belt. He's going into year number two. Rodgers likes what he's seen so far. You know, I think Aaron's been more careful about who he praises publicly in practice. Last year, remember last year's minicamp, he was basically calling the uh, the, the effort um, dog feces and it's a it's a it's a much different vibe this year so you know whether that's these guys getting their heads on straight they just have a better group of receivers to your point they're later round picks so what they're doing and providing to the Packers if they max out is an incredible value and then you give a ton of credit to the, the scouting department and and the front office for finding them that late in the draft I mean EQ was supposed to be a much earlier round pick, and for whatever reason, he fell to the Packers at an extreme value position. And speaking of the Niners game, EQ had that pivotal catch on the sideline mm-hmm. that allowed the um, allowed the walk off field goal to happen. So both well, these young guys, I think, are going to be great. But yeah, you got to have speed these days. You have got to have speed and size, and it was just getting so frustrating. Uh, up until the last couple of years ago because it was just the same prototype player. There was a lot of, you know, Greg Jennings and Randall Cobb and, you know, I mean, Packers wide receivers topped out at about, what, 6'1", maybe 6'2". And it was like, why can't they just get one guy who's, you know, because the size has been there for the better part of a decade. I mean, Calvin Johnson coming into the league in 07 changed the, the you know, the, the idea of you've got to have these slender or, you know, small, fast, or slender, quick guys. You can combine strength and speed. I guess you, you could have said Terrell Owens even sooner than Calvin Johnson started that trend. But MBS is going to do great things. I, I think if, if it's not him getting the ball, I think on the other side, it's only going to draw away from what's the, any attention you can pay to Devontae Adams. And even if you're paying all the attention to Devontae Adams, he's still going to get open. So that's why I like I like this whole thing. I think one of the pivotal things, though, is that those two guys on the outside are going to have to make sure that the middle of the field is clean enough for whatever's happening in the middle of the field to happen, whether that's tight end or, or running back getting get the, get the ball. Because the running backs are going to get some looks too in the passing game. But you, you've got you know, the multiple threat aspect of it is, is what I'm looking forward to the most. MBS is a big part of that for sure. Yeah, and I think that's something, you know, the most exciting part of it is is Devontae Adams has never played in his prime with a receiver that can do that for him. You know, last year he was playing with, I mean, those guys were fifth and sixth round rookies. What the hell are you going to expect from them? Nothing realistic as far as the offense, I don't think. They were pressed into duty 
that the Packers never wanted them to be in, but that's the way that it worked out. You know, injuries happen. That's that's the nature of this game, and the next man up better be ready, except in the case of the quarterback, because more often than not, that next man up sucks unless it's Nicky Foles. But the ability of MBS to stretch the field and just blow the top off of defenses and just get somebody to look over there. I mean, if they look over there for a split second, now Adams is wide open on the intermediate portions of the field, and teams can't just solely focus on, you know, for example, just to use the NBA Finals recently that ended as an example. One of the reasons the Warriors have been so lethal for the last three years is because if Steph Curry's having a good night, cool. If he's not having a good night, then there's Kevin Durant. And if he's not having a good night, then there's Klay Thompson. And as the finals progressed this year, you saw Nick Nurse employ a box-and-one. That's unheard of in NBA circles for various reasons. Steph Curry was the only one they had to worry about. I mean, they weren't worried about if Draymond Green or Andre Iguodala are hitting threes from the outside, then the War- or the Raptors were just going to tip their cap and say, God bless you. You beat us that way. But they were willing to do that. And that's what teams are going to do against Green Bay this year is see, okay, Devontae's your guy. We're going to try and take him away and make Valdez, Scantling, St. Brown, Geronimo Allison, the tight ends, the running backs beat you. And the hope that Green Bay has this year, obviously, that they can because they're going to have to. Uh, there's going to have to be games where – and that's really what you're looking for. You mentioned some sparks. You know, the, the Jets game last year for Equinemius St. Brown was a big one. Um that stretch in the middle of the season was the big one for MBS. Now what you're looking for is consistency. You know, I don't want to see a six-catch, 101-yard game one week and then the next week see two catches for 12 yards and then see one catch for seven yards the following week after that and then have another big game. You want to see that consistency build up for the Packers. Now, they're going to spread the ball around a little bit more this year, it sounds like, uh, and the running backs are one of those things. So, the running back portion of the offense is another thing I'm excited to see once this passing game gets in the flow because the Packers have some capable athletes that can catch the ball to the backfield. Dexter Williams, all three of their guys, Jamal Williams, Dexter Williams, and Aaron Jones. I would love to see Aaron Jones used more in the passing game. So I'm excited uh, to see that as well. Uh, Jason, I mean, before we wrap up here, what's your excitement level? I mean, when we go into training camp now, Offense, defensive storylines. What are the two things that you have your eye on? Because everybody has their eye on stuff when they come into training camp, even if they say they don't. What are you paying attention to the most on those two sides of the ball as training camp starts? Turnovers on defense. I don't care if it's training camp or not. Turnovers on defense because that's an attitude and it's a focus. And on offense, it's just going to be a general comfort level and seeing how comfortable the offense is. Uh, in running, if, are they improving? Are they gelling? Does, is everybody knowing where to go? Does everyone seem comfortable within the offensive? So when they line up on week one, they know what they're doing. They're, they can run it. And obviously there's going to be some growing that's going to happen in, in it. You know, But can, can Rodgers run this offense and can he run it with, with his usual level of proficiency? Um, you know, it's, it's unfair to ask of him because it's his first year just like it is anybody else's. But you know, he's got a higher bar to live up to. He's a more intelligent player. He's a very veteran. He's been around for a long time, and he's proven that he's one of the best and that he can do it. He also, you know, said it himself. There's not many guys in the league who can run the, the you know, offensive line of scrimmage. If he wants to be that guy, I want to see that happening. So 
you know, as far as them like churning out touchdowns left and right and Jay Kumaro catching deep balls and everybody in the stands going crazy, I don't care about that. I just, you know, obviously stay healthy and continue to improve and then just get a good vibe going towards the, those first couple of preseason games when we'll really start to see how good this team is and, and how good they're going to look, how confident we can be early in the season that um, everything is going to gel well and and that they can live up to what we, we hope to. Because they should be a team that's back in the postseason, and that's easier said than done. But even as a wild card, you know, they may only need to win nine games to accomplish that. And I think nine wins is still very realistic right now to say about this this team, even though it's a first-time head coach and they don't know everything they need to know and there's still a lot of getting to know each other around the room. So that's that's the biggest thing. It's just it's the offense gelling as everyone seemed comfortable. And on defense, just I want dogs back there running around, barking like crazy. Well, you kind of stole some of my stuff there, but that's okay. Um, you know, I think you mentioned that nine wins might get them to the playoffs, and I think, honestly, that the ceiling is the roof, to use Michael Jordan's phrase. No, but I'm kidding. But the ceiling for this team, I think, is 12 wins. I think that you can make an argument that this team could go 12-4. and four. They get a couple breaks here or there, maybe win a game they're not supposed to, something like that. That's your ceiling. I think your floor, if everything goes wrong, obviously if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, there's a completely different handicap for this team. If Deshaun Kaiser or Timmy Boyle are the ones taking snaps for the majority of the year. But if Aaron Rodgers is healthy and plays all 16 games, I think your floor is somewhere between you know six and eight wins. That's where the bottom is. And I think there's a lot of things that have to go poorly for Green Bay to hit that level. I just think that there's going to be a, you know, you almost call it the new effect. Like last year, you saw, for example, the Packers got a spark in their first game with Joe Philbin as the head coach. They didn't do anything different. And I said it after that Falcons game when we were on the show, Jason. The Packers didn't do anything different in that game. It was just like the weight of the world was lifted off that team's shoulders, and they could just go out and play. What happened the next week? They went to Chicago, and they lost because the Packers weren't very good, and the Bears were. Because that stuff eventually wears off. But I think with a new coach, better players on this team, which they do have as well, you're going to see something like that uh, to where the Packers maybe win a couple games that maybe they wouldn't have just because of the new effect. Uh, and that's certainly a possibility of something that we can see here in the first you know month of the season or something like that. For me, what I'm watching on the offense, it's really nice that you know the battle, the positional battles are at the receiver position. Um, when I go to training camp, I love to watch one-on-ones, receivers against corners, pass rushers against offensive linemen. I think that's where the players kind of get better the most, even though some people say that drill doesn't matter that much. Other people do. Um, but that's what I like to see is, you know, can MBS beat Jair Alexander? How is Kevin King doing against Devontae Adams? That was something last year that was a storyline of how much better King was getting from facing Adams in practice every day. Jair Alexander had that opportunity this year in minicamp. With the defensive side of the ball, for me, all eyes are on 52. Uh, Rashawn Gary had a very good camp. There was a play in minicamp. And again, this is in shorts, but I also feel like since Packers fans didn't like like the pick, this wasn't made as big of a deal as it could have been or as it would have been. So if Brian Burns or Montez Sweat or whoever it was made this play in camp, it would be getting all the buzz. But Rashawn Gary, by the words of the reporters, quote, surprised David Bakhtiari and beat him around the corner for what would have been a sack. I want to see more of that. Let me see Rashawn Gary and see if that talent wins out. 
you know, and get some of those questions answered quickly because that way I don't have to hear about how the Packers blew a top 12 pick before he's even played a snap in the NFL. That was the hardest part of draft night for me personally was just that listening to these people say, oh, my God, they threw away a pick, and this guy sucks, and he'll never be good or, you know, whatever. Gary's got all the talent in the world. If the ceiling, if he can hit his ceiling, there basically isn't one. So you're talking about a cornerstone of the defense and one of the best players in the National Football League with the level of athlete that he is. Uh, so that's where I'm going to look to start camp. I always like to see those early picks and see if they look the part. Gary, according to our guy Andy Herman, certainly looks the part. Now it's a matter of putting it together on the field. We are out of time for today. That's going to do it for this edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Twitter. It's at Pack-A-Day Podcast. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We like those ratings with five stars. Uh, And let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that sort of stuff. You can follow Jason. He's at Jason Peroni. He's my new partner. And welcome to the team officially, Jason. We have a spot for you full-time. This is new. It will be every other Saturday for this time frame, uh, next Saturday, or excuse me, every other Saturday is when we record. Every other Sunday, next Sunday, you will have the pleasure of Zach Jacobson and Matub will be bringing you Packers news for the Pack a Day podcast. And you can follow me, your host. I am at Jacob Westendorf. Thank you guys for listening to this show. We're in the doldrums of the offseason, but sooner or later, we will be at training camp. And before you know it, football season will be here in full effect. Thank you for listening. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers listening. And of course, Go Pat, go. Third and six, trailing 30 to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. He gets touchdown. Devontae Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking. Hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the touch, nice reach. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6'5 of his frame, tumbled out of bounds, inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side, Devontae's got it, out of bounds, inside the 10-yard line. My goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is, placement made, kick is up. It is good! It is good! Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.